I'd like to welcome you to Lakeside Christian Church. If you're here with us for the first time, we have uh, welcome cards that are in the pew for you. We'd love to get some information from you, who, we, who you are and how we as a, a church can assist you and come alongside you and help you. And so we encourage you, if you can, just to fill one of those out. And if you're a regular comer and something new has come up in your life that you'd like to make us aware of, a new situation or something in the life of somebody that you know, that's also a great thing to grab and fill out or there's a note card in front of you and you can turn that in uh, to any one of us and we'll be happy to look at that. And for our evening town hall, for all who are able to make it, we also have uh, some of the girls in the youth group who volunteered to watch your kids tonight, so please don't let uh, that be an excuse for you. Please bring them. We'll have uh, events going on for them as well while we're over in the fellowship hall uh, sharing with one another and talking around tables. So please know that that is available as well. I invite you to open a Bible to John chapter 8, and if you're using one of the Bibles that's been provided for you, you'll find it on page 894. We are in a series on Easter. Easter's a couple of weeks away, but it is the Sunday in the church where we celebrate the center of our Christian faith, the truth that holds all the other truths together. If what we are about to celebrate a few weeks from now is not true, then we have nothing to celebrate the other 51 weeks of the year. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead and therefore proving himself to be all that he claimed to be, then we as Christians do not have something to celebrate. We could still get together as friends and people who enjoy one another's company, but That's not why we get together. We get together to turn our attention and our focus, our mouths, our energy, our efforts on Jesus, on who he is and on what he has done in celebrating his life. And as Easter is about his resurrected life, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about life, his life and how he gives life to you and to me, how we can experience that life now And how he intends for us to experience that life forever. And so last week we started in the first chapter of John's gospel where the writer said, in him was life. That in Jesus himself was life. And and in saying that, John was telling us that Jesus was very, from the beginning, God who made all that was. And so we celebrate not simply a life that existed 2,000 years ago, But we believe that in that life was God made flesh. The words of chapter one are the word made flesh. That the one who created all of our lives came and lived among us. And as we now turn to this chapter, we'll see how this life that was among us also brings light to our lives, that Jesus referred to himself in such a way and all that he was as the one who could bring light to our lives. And to do that, we'll look at what he says beginning in verse 12. But just by way of observation, before you look down at verse 12, look up around the room and ask yourself, where are the sources of light coming from in our room this morning? And you'll notice that we have light coming in from the sides through the windows, and then you have light coming from above in the fixtures. In every place where you see a light coming in, you also see something that is protecting your eye and mine from that light. Everywhere you look where light is coming in, there's also something protecting your eye and mine 
from that light. If there were no covers over the fixtures up top and you were able to look straight at the light bulbs that are up there, you'd start to see light bulbs everywhere else you looked. And if these weren't stained glass windows and they were just normal windows, they would likely have what on them? Well, they have shades. And so if you haven't ever yet gone close to them and looked to see how thick they are, but they at one and the same time allow light to come in so that we can see, but they protect us so that if the light is ever in a certain, the sun is ever in a certain position, it would not blind us. And light has a way of doing that. It has a way of revealing everything but itself. Now we're going to go to verse 12. We'll look down and enjoy what the light is enabling us to do and begin reading. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from. And where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? And Jesus answered, well, you, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. And so, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in me, and my word abide in you, 
You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are of the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. That'll conclude the portion that we'll read at this time. But for us, our message is going to focus on how the life of Jesus brings light and freedom to all who believe. So this life that gave us life now gives us new life by bringing us light and freedom. But if you picked up on the reading, there's a, there's a hostile situation going on. Jesus is not surrounded by a bunch of excited, open, listening ears, hungry to listen from the wise teacher. If you turn back in chapter 7, at the very beginning, John sets the setting for us and lets us know that there's a feast going on. There's a week-long festival taking place in Jerusalem called sometimes the Feast of Booths or sometimes the Feast of the Tabernacles, but it's a week-long celebration where the people of Israel were remembering how God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and how he protected them in their wanderings in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And so this was a time where they got together to celebrate and people who didn't live in Jerusalem would travel from far to gather together. And so the title that you have at the beginning of chapter 7 is Jesus at the Feast of Booths. And when we, we notice a few things just in the first couple verses. After Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So he's already become a difficult figure in their mind. And now the, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, and so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not fully come. So the disciples leave, and he stays there, verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, for the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? So here, the reputation of Jesus has already grown and not necessarily grown in popularity. Some people like him, but some people hate him. So much so that he knows that at a large gathering at a feast time, that if he now walks to Jerusalem openly, there might be somebody that tries to attack him or his disciples 
along the way to the feast. And so what he does is he encourages his disciples to go, and so that if anybody comes to them and says, well, where's your leader? He's not with them. And he comes at a different time, and he does so privately. And he does this, if you then, for homework, want to read through chapter 7 and all of chapter 8, he makes himself known publicly, but he shows up in such a way that now everybody would see what is happening. If anybody's going to arrest him, if anybody's going to take his life, they're going to have to do it in the presence of other people. But he's not going to be caught along the way in, in some back alley, if you will. And so he comes now, and everybody is celebrating at the temple this time when God protected them in the wilderness. They're remembering something about their past. And they're remembering how in, in the dark of the wilderness, when they could see the light of the stars and they didn't know where they were going, God provided for them a light that kept them on the right path. That they could look up, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that they could see where it is that God would want them to go. And one of the ways they celebrate is, is they put huge candles and lit them at this time so that if you were a person coming up to the festival at Jerusalem, you would have seen the glow of the city before you got there. You would have seen the light and the glow of the city before you were able to get up and, and participate yourself. And here Jesus now coming in the middle of Uh, In chapter 12, in verse 12 of chapter 8, it says that he was coming to them and saying, I am the light of the world. And then when we get to verse 20, he tells us where these things were spoken. They were spoken in the treasury as he was in the temple, no one willing to arrest him. So when Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world, he's standing in the midst of the temple and able probably to point to these massive candles and say, this is what I am. This light, all that this represents for you, that you're gathering together to celebrate, that you believe about the temple in Jerusalem, how it's supposed to be a city set on a hill, an example for all of the Gentiles. What you're celebrating, I am this light. Which is a bold claim for all of these people who are already enraged. Before he even gets there, they're already plotting and how they can catch him. And here he stands in public so that all that are there can hear. And he makes a claim about himself. That he is the light of the world. And so as we said last time, Jesus made claims about himself, which if we understand what they mean in their context, are bold claims. That we then examine as the first listeners had to and say, are these claims true or are they not true? Is he who he said he was? But when we come to that question, we have to acknowledge what our own biases are When we consider them, are we open to the possibility that what he claimed about himself is true? We realize in this passage that the Pharisees and the religious leaders don't seem very open. Look at how they respond in verse 13. Instead of saying, oh, please tell us more, they say, you're a liar. 
Your testimony's not true. You're saying this of yourself. We got people walking around all day long saying things about themselves. Will anybody else say this about you? And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going, and you don't know where I come from. You judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anybody according to the flesh. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And so he is, in one way, he's responding by saying, there's somebody else who will testify alongside of me. But he again makes this claim that he is actually someone who can bear witness about himself. He is someone who can make testimony about himself. Which again, for the listeners, would say, no, no, no. Only God can testify about himself. All of us need somebody else to come along and verify that we were where we said we were and we did what we said we did. We we need to prove and demonstrate that we are who we are. But here Jesus is saying, actually, when I bear testimony about myself, that testimony is true. So now he's said he's the light of the world. He can bear testimony about himself And the person that stands alongside of him and agrees with everything that he's doing is none other than the Father. Just imagine being one of the listeners to this person who's come to the temple quietly and privately and now standing publicly and saying that everything that they're celebrating, every symbol that they see around them actually is pointing to him that he is the greatest fulfillment of all of their activity and all of their rememberings, that he is who they're supposed to be worshiping. He is who they are supposed to be honoring. And the more you think about it and you stand there and you look at, you can imagine yourself looking at him, hopefully you can empathize with what chapter 7 said that even his own brothers were struggling to believe and then now here the leaders are struggling to believe because he's just right there in front of them he he actually has flesh and bone They, they can touch him they can smell him they can look at him and they're not consumed by him but that that's what john chapter 1 said that when jesus came He put flesh on himself and he covered, if you will, the light so that he could be among us without blinding us. So that he could show us things without consuming us. So that he could make sense of our world and our lives without destroying us. But if he appeared in all of his glory and all of his power not only would they have not been able to understand him, they wouldn't have been able to endure him. And so he is showing them light on their life and on their situation and protecting them so that they're not consumed by his own light and beauty and brightness. And this is something that we experience regularly. If you've ever been inside of a matinee, 
And then you come outside right afterwards and all of a sudden the light is just painful. And you might even say, ow, <laughs> like, oh, who, who did that? There is, when you're not accustomed to the light, when you're not used to seeing in all of its beauty or when it's simply so powerful that your eyes and my eyes are not equipped to handle it, it's very shining, it's very power can be painful to us. And so when we walk outside and we enjoy the fact that it's a sunny day, most of us will look into the blue sky and not look at the sun. Because you can't look at the sun. Our eyes struggle to look directly into the light without being affected by the very same thing. And so here, they're trying to absorb all that he is shining a light on And yet he's protecting them from being consumed by himself. And in that protection, they're just struggling to believe that he is who he says he is. Because they can look at him. They can see him. And so he continues with them. He says, look, I'm going away. You're going to seek me and you will die in your sin, verse 21. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Which they get what he's talking about. You and I would read that and we wouldn't hear anything in there necessarily relating to death. I'm going away and you'll seek me. But they get it because look at what they ask him. Are you going to kill yourself? Is he suicidal? What is he talking about? But there's something that he's saying that's indicating a death that's going to take place. And he says, no. Listen, one of the reasons you're struggling to understand me is because you're from below I'm from above, you're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? I want to stop there. And just encourage all of us to realize this is the central question of the Christian faith. Who is this Jesus? Is he who he claimed to be, or is he not? Was he crazy? Was he out of his mind? Was he an amazing deceiver that he could trick a lot of people? But this question, who are you, is one of the most important questions that you and I can wrestle with. And he says, I am what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, And I declare to the world what I've heard from him. And he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He says, there's going to come a time and you can't see it now because I haven't shown it all to you now. But when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you will know when he is lifted up that I am what I told you I was from the beginning, which is the unique Son that always does the things that are pleasing to him. That he is the unique Son who was always with the Father, according to John 1. 
and now who always does the things that are pleasing to him and who has come on a mission from him to bring that light through his life into the world. And it says, as, as, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. And now he gathers together the people that believed in him. And he says, if you abide in me, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's something that we regularly hear about, that other parts of the world long to have some of the freedoms that we have and they don't. And we thank God regularly for the freedoms that we have. But it's in our political history where we have the quote, give me liberty or give me death. We, we believe that freedom and life go together. That to say, I'm enjoying life and I feel alive, usually to be able to express that comes some sense of freedom that we're able to enjoy. But we don't feel like we're enjoying life when someone else is always telling us what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And we feel enslaved to somebody. But we experience life in its fullness when we experience it in its freedom. And what Jesus is saying to all of his listeners, even some who are initially responding in belief, is that there is a freedom that they do not know. That he grants. There is a freedom that they do not know that he gives He says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So in some way, they are not free. And that's one of the things that we, as we come to a passage like this, as we consider the life that God wants to give us, we have to ask ourselves, in what sense are we not free? Could we acknowledge that there's any sense in which we're not free? I think we could as it related to physical abilities. Most of us, if we just threw out a list of tasks, could acknowledge, I can't do that. I can't do that. If you could take your Sunday afternoon, this very Sunday, and you knew that everything else was taken care of, if you have kids, somebody else will watch them, whatever appointments you had, they're canceled. You've got four hours this afternoon. You're free. And then I said, are you free in those four hours to go out and to run 26 miles? He'd say, well some people can do it in four hours. And I, ha- I would have that four hours. But what you don't have, which if you don't have it, that just makes you normal, okay? <laughs> I don't have it either. The, you don't, and I don't have the ability to do that. For me to get to 26 miles, that will require lots of work and a, a lot of effort along the way to try to get there. But... I can't really say I'm free to do that if I don't have the ability to do that. Just like some of you are very musically gifted and you can play an instrument. And so if I handed you an instrument and said, you're free to play, just start playing. We need some background music to the sermon. Somebody's falling asleep. Just start. We need something to play. You're free to do it. You'd be able to do it because you have the ability through practice. You know how. But if you put the instrument that you know how to play into my hands, I'm free to make noise, but I'm not free to make music because I don't know how. And we can acknowledge about ourselves that we have limitations and that we are not free to do anything and everything we want to do. 
But one of the things the Bible regularly insists of is that we are not free from sin. And so there is so much of what God wants us to enjoy and to experience that we do not because we are not free. Imagine how much more I could have enjoyed this past week if I was free of pride. Imagine how much more of this very past 48 hours I could have enjoyed if I wasn't selfish. Imagine how much more you and I could experience of what God intends for us if we didn't desire our own authority and to always get our own way. And all of those things that we struggle with, our sins, they block us, they blind us, they prevent us from being able to experience the life that God intends for each and every one of us. And so if we were to say in the one sense, can can we just leave from this place and go out in the full freedom of enjoying God in all that he has for us, we have to acknowledge we are not free completely. I need to be set free from my own sin. Before God deals with any one of you, for me, I need to be set free from my own sins, my own struggles to enjoy what he has before me in this very afternoon, tomorrow, and in the remainder of my life. To simply give me more time to be selfish doesn't solve anything. To give me more time to manifest my pride doesn't solve anything. We don't just need the time and the, the, the freedom from other people or external things, we need to be set free in our own hearts. We need to be set free from our sins. And so when you go back up and he says to these Pharisees, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. What he's, what he's simply saying is, if I've come to set you free and I've come to shine light on you and you reject that, then you're going to remain in the condition in which I found you. But you're already in that condition. Your eyes are already closed. You're not seeing what it is you're supposed to see. You're not enjoying the freedom you're supposed to enjoy. And so if you reject the very means by which you can get those things, then you're not going to see them. And so it's no different than saying, if you continue to keep your eyes closed, you're not going to see the person next to you. Open, open your eyes if you want to see. Open your heart if you want to receive me. But if there's going to be a relationship between us, and if there is ever going to be a setting free from our sins, then we need to come to the one who can set us free. And they're offended by this. They say, who do you think you are? to say, we, we've, We're of the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. And he says, listen, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not remain in a house forever. It's the son that remains forever. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And here's the clear statement of Jesus. You, as someone who struggles with sin, are enslaved to that. And you can be free. And we can either be offended by that prognosis and say, I don't want to hang out with you more because you don't tell me things I like to hear. Or we can listen to the second part of the statement, which is, but here, if I set you free, you'll be free. 
and that's what we wrestle with. In the gospel, there is good news and there is bad news. There's, it tells us something about ourselves that is awful. That if we're willing to be honest, we acknowledge at least in part and definitely acknowledge is true of other people. If we're honest, we acknowledge that we struggle in part and definitely other people to see things accurately with their own pride or selfishness or whatever it is. And so in receiving that, though, he holds out this promise and he says, but listen, if I set you free, if I shine light, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to enjoy all the things that God intends. You can have life now. And so to conclude, as you look into chapter 9, the very first thing that Jesus does after he has this long debate and back and forth with these people about whether they're free or not is he goes and he finds somebody who was born blind and he gives them sight. The very first thing that Jesus does after this back and forth is to find someone who was born blind and to miraculously heal them and give sight to show to all who are listening. And then this guy runs off and goes to these very Pharisees and says, I couldn't see before and now I could see. And they say, how did that happen? I don't even know, but this guy did it. And then they're upset again. And instead of saying, oh, help me see too, they get angry. He's going to become more popular. People are going to like him all the more. But Jesus shows to them without a doubt that he's not just here to diagnose their situation. And he's not just here to diagnose us and leave us in that. He doesn't come to tell us that we struggle with sin and we're enslaved to it and that we are blind because it's his intention to keep us in that state. He tells us those truths about ourselves so that if we could look up to him and acknowledge that that is true, we can't see we can't do it on our own, we are not free, then his life has the power within it just like it created us in the first place. It can recreate us in new birth. And so you and I who cannot see will be able to. You and I who have no power to follow him will have the power to follow him. And he says, when he is lifted up, they'll all understand this, that he is who he said he was. What will it take for you and for me to see him as he is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your life shines a light that as we walk around and miss so much of what we can enjoy because of our pride, because of our selfishness. Father, even because of our physical limitations, the weakness of our bodies, the ravages of disease, we confess that we are limited. And we pray that you would show yourself to us in a way that is sensitive to us that you would protect us from all of your power and all of your glory because we're not equipped to handle it. Father, we ask that you would gently come and bring healing, bring life, and show us your ways. 
And as you give us the abilities to match our freedoms, Father, help us to enjoy you. Help us to go from this place and to live in the freedom that you give. That none of us are your slaves, but that we can be your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.